The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family? Answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio with host Dr. Bill Freya. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is Dr. Bill Freya. And welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host for the hour, Dr. Bill Freya. I'm a clinical psychologist and co-founder of Autism Spectrum Therapies. We're a national agency providing resources and services to individuals of all ages who are living with autism spectrum disorders, as well as other developmental issues. AST has created Autism Spectrum Radio to be a resource for families and professionals, and we have been covering a range of topics to help a broad audience interested in helping children and adults with autism. So I hope you have not missed any of the great topics and guests that we've gathered here on Autism Spectrum Radio. We have enjoyed the wisdom and passion of some wonderful parents and advocates giving us great advice and perspective, and it's been it's been great to hear different people's stories. Uh, we've had clinical and research professionals discuss treatment and classroom models, and we've been lucky to have some of the most accomplished autism experts visit the show. Today, we'll have another one of those accomplished experts, Dr. Danny Openden, is joining us today to discuss some of the uh, work they are doing at SARC. That's the Southwestern Autism Research and Resource Center. That's why we call it SARC. Uh, he has a unique specialty that I think everyone can learn from, and that's uh, parent education and parent training. He's going to share some of, uh, with us some of the things that they're learning and currently doing at SARC. But before we jump into uh, the topic today of parent support, I wanted to make sure that all, all of you know about an important issue and an important opportunity. As we approach the July 1 date for the new insurance mandate that's uh, coming to California, many parents are rightly concerned and confused. Uh, there will be service disruptions and uncertainties with the transition to insurance coverage for many families receiving state-funded uh, regional center services currently. And I want uh, to let everybody know that AST is continuing to offer our workshops, um, how to utilize your, utilize your insurance for autism services. We want to do all we can to prepare California residents for this insurance mandate. Uh, it's only weeks away. And I really encourage you to attend a workshop in your area. Uh, these are free workshops. Um, you can find all the locations and dates uh, on the workshop page of the AST website under the resources tabs of autismtherapies.com and on our Facebook uh, page, Autism Therapies. These workshops, like I said, are free to the public, but we want to make sure that you get a seat. So call Naomi, 866-278-1520. And uh, if you need to talk to somebody right away, she can always connect you with an insurance specialist at AST, um, and there's no charge for that either. So again, 866-278-1520. I'm going to repeat that information later in the show in case you didn't have a pen handy, so uh, don't worry. Let's go into today's topic of how professionals can educate and support parents. Parent education and training, uh, that's changed dramatically 
over the years in, in a good way. It, it wasn't really that long ago that the approach was basically just uh, leave him here at the clinic with us, we'll do the treatment and uh, come back when we're done. And that seemed to really be the approach, certainly 60s, 1970s, and most of the 80s uh, for clinical practices. Eventually, professionals began to better appreciate the importance of parents knowing how to teach their children, things we take for granted today. Uh, so some professionals moved from that drop him off at the clinic perspective to how about you stay and watch what we're doing. And it wasn't until more recently that that watching became co-teaching collaboration, eventually more in-home services too. Parents became part of the sessions that became more of a norm over the last 10, maybe 20 years, depending on where you live and what professionals you have access to. But now most everywhere there is an appreciation of what the parent can do and needs to do to get good treatment gains. I mean, the outcome is based on that. Most, most, of, most of us know there's a direct correlation between how much of the program the parent is doing and the amount of child progress. That's pretty well documented. And more research has focused on the effects of parent involvement, uh, even in supervision. Uh, so we passed that threshold of having the parent become just one of the therapists. And interestingly, not until really the 1980s, but mostly the 90s, did we see a true growth in publications addressing parent training, telling us what works and how to do it. Uh, most of all, uh, it, it was still parent as therapist, uh, and that still is happening a little bit today. But better clinicians know that's not just parent training um, and parent involvement. Uh, and having them become a good therapist. Parents will always be more important than any therapist. Uh, we do want them to become skilled, of course. Uh, being a good teacher of language is important. Being a good teacher of social interaction, it's a must, and uh, that's a given for any good clinical practice. But parents need help with more than just technical skills. I think that's where the heart of good parent education and training is. Parents need to be engaged in treatment planning at a very core level, these are the unique skills of the Danny Opendens of the world, I guess, today. You know, connecting with the issues unique to the child and to the family and being honest about what, is she, what he or she is going to need in their future. You know, Our challenge today, and maybe the challenge for this decade, is how to best work with parents to plan years ahead to make sure that we continually build on the foundation needed to create the best adulthood that can have. Uh, a new view of thinking about uh, meeting his or her true potential for independence. There are many variables to consider in this type of collaborative parent-professional relationship, you know, and there's a lot of new, ter new territory uh, touched you know, in recent years. Parents ultimately will need to participate and expect some difficult decision-making. And like I said, it's far from just doing a generic program. You know, there are challenges. There are many hot topics and issues uh, to problem-solve in this new perspective of parent education and support. You know, at a basic level, here, here's a common trippy, tricky uh, topic, a hot issue. I mentioned this one because it's uh, coming up a lot recently with many professionals discussing how to address this issue with families. And that is uh, getting your child's program to go outside of your home, getting community exposure, building independence very early on, pushing harder than your comfort zone might normally accommodate, getting independence on the radar very early and defining that independence with the family. This is hard for most parents for very reasonable reasons. It's not what other parents around you are doing. It doesn't at first appear to mesh with what he or she is doing at school. But for many kids, we have to face the fact that he doesn't, um, that he's going to need to learn some basic independent skills earlier than everyone else. He's going to need to learn to cook, to do laundry, to buy items at the grocery store, 
earlier than his peers. He needs a longer runway uh, to build that foundation. He needs a plan that will evolve into a meaningful transition to adulthood, and it has to start very early. As I said, this is an example of of the new context for parent support that is starting to be discussed in the professional community. Uh, It's not just parent training or generic parent education. This is a partnering in life planning building greater probability of the higher standards and better quality of life in the future. We heard Matt Asner talk about this on our show uh, as a parent. He is seeing this need over and over again as a parent advocate and in his role at Autism Speaks, which is dealing more than ever with the topic of adult transition and the need to plan early and define that plan. Our guest, Joe Ashley, also alluded to her desire to push for earlier planning and more creative uh, parent-professional collaboration and how important that was to her. And when we talk with Dr. Peter Gerhardt in a couple of weeks, we'll find out more how one of the leading experts in adult transition discusses these issues with parents of younger children, which he's doing more and more. And he'll say, get started now, regardless of the age, start planning out of the box on what independence should look like. When I spoke with him at a recent ABA international meeting, he was passionate about this issue, uh, passionate about the things that uh, parents of younger children need to consider and the use of technology and all the other things that uh, that we're seeing now being integrated into the plan. Yeah, I think we have a history of professionals trying to stay on their own narrow track. It's safe and it's easier for parents in the short term. But now we're seeing more outspoken professionals demanding that we take supporting families to a higher level. This has led to some difficult conversations. Um, school, school is a conundrum. Parents are right to want their child to reach full academic potential, of course. But it can take your eye off the ball as well. All those academic skills need to have a purpose. They need to go somewhere. They need to lead to something other than watching TV or playing video games. What we see over and over now uh, when individuals transition to adulthood, you know, not really knowing what they're supposed to be doing. Schools don't usually help with that part, do they? So one hot topic is planning early for all the needs for quality adult transition. And I mentioned technology. That, that is another topic that's coming up a lot with uh, parents and professionals working together. Um, what programs should we include? We can't do them all, and there's a new autism app out every day. You know, These are going to be important decisions that are going to be integrated into the program and help your child in the future. Some, some of the uh, stuff that's coming out is just terrible for him, you know, for, for, for a particular child. And we, it's a terrible fit. It doesn't work. How do we address that? How do we rapidly change from an ineffective program that the child is now attached to and maybe very attached to? And sometimes it's even harder. How do we get him away from the TV, the computer? Because now screens are all he wants to look at. You know, those video screens are are what is at the passion of the child. Is the iPod a good thing? Well, of course it is. Uh, if we work together, it's an incredible tool to build the right program. It's, it's It can be a part with the iPad having its right place and not just being uh, something that we're using for the sake of using it. We need to work together to make sure that technology is not an easy distraction from the critical goal of building independence. This is something that professionals are really having to face and educate themselves on. So those are some examples that address the issue of the context of modern parent education and support. It's getting more complicated, it's getting more involved, and it's getting more effective. Obviously, starting early is a big deal, and the tone is obviously set in early intervention. We previously discussed on the show how early intervention and school preparedness require a solid home-based program and an integrated preschool program. We heard this from Dr. Phil Strain and his LEAP model, Dr. Eileen Schwartz and her project data in previous programs. And no one is probably better suited to give us some details of just really how this works 
best integration of these programs for early intervention than our guest today, Dr. Danny Opendon. We look forward to that. But let me give you a quick tip first. Uh, if you've missed any of our previous shows, I, I realize I'm referencing a lot of folks, take comfort in knowing that you can access them all on our AST website. You can listen to them at your own leisure. You can find them by going to autismtherapies.com. You'll find a radio page there with all of our previous shows. There's a list of our future shows, schedules, and topics. And while you're at the AST site, go ahead and explore the resources there because there really are quite a bit. And please don't forget to look at the dates and locations for our upcoming workshops on how to utilize your insurance for autism services. We want to do all we can to prepare California residents for the upcoming insurance mandate. Again, the workshops are free. Uh, try to attend one in your area. Uh, you'll see all the locations and dates when you go to the workshop page of the AST website and on our Facebook page as well. Uh, again, remember to call Naomi to reserve a seat, and that's 866-278-1520. And you can also ask to speak to an insurance specialist at AST. Um, Naomi would be would be a great person to talk to about that. Again, 866-278-1520. We'll go ahead and take our break now. If you have a question, you can post it on our Facebook page, or you can email it directly at moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Again, that's more info at autismtherapies.com. If you have something you'd like to talk to Danny about, ask Danny about, or related to SARC, um, now's a good time to go ahead and send that so we'll have it. Because he'll be coming back with us in just a second. So stay tuned to... Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Need to replace aging IT infrastructure? Want a way to scale IT resources on demand? Looking for affordable disaster recovery alternatives? Then maybe the cloud is for you. If you aren't sure where or how to start, CenterBeam can help. Over the past decade, we've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and for a limited time are offering a 25% discount on a cloud readiness assessment. It includes detailed recommendations for your transition to the cloud and is yours to keep. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Everyone deserves a life filled with happiness, confidence, and achievements. Code Metro, developers of NPA Works Business Management Software, is proud to partner with Autism Spectrum Therapies and its efforts in creating futures for individuals with autism. To fulfill our duties, we promise a special needs product that helps organizations operate efficiently, providing them with a business system that evolves as rapidly as they do. The results? A streamlined practice to help maintain quality services. Discover how we help businesses succeed at NPAWorks.com. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya. And today we're speaking with Dr. Danny Obenden. He's the Vice President and Clinical Services Director for the Southwestern Autism Research and Resource Center, SARC in lovely and toasty Phoenix, Arizona. He received his doctorate in special education at uh, UC Santa Barbara, a great place to go to school. And he's worked extensively with families and children with autism spectrum disorders. He has provided consulting and training for school districts across the country, and he's published in peer-reviewed journals and book chapters as well. Uh, Dr. Openen has expertise in developing training programs for teaching parents and professionals to implement pivotal response treatment, PRT, which we learned a lot about when we talked with Dr. Len Cagle. Uh, in an earlier show. At SARC, uh, Dr. Openen directs the center's clinical programs and services, including an inclusive preschool, a comprehensive home-based program, school consultation, all kinds of stuff. He was honored recently as uh, one of the Phoenix Business Journal's 40 under top 40 under 40 up-and-coming community leaders. Uh, Dr. Openen's research interests include parent training, early intervention, inclusion, technology, and transfer of research to practice. So he's got a lot to share. Uh, welcome to the show, Danny. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Bill. Thank you. Great. Let's dive right in. I want to ask you about the community school at SARC, which is your inclusive preschool. Uh, it's received a lot of attention and acclaim. I'd love to hear how it works and, in general, what you recommend to listeners who are looking at schools uh, for their children right now. So tell us about the community school. Sounds great. So uh, the community school was, was one of the big reasons that uh, I came to SARC to begin with. I, I saw this opportunity to build something that was really sort of innovative and that not too many people around the country uh, were building. Um, and uh, when you look at our classrooms, one of the few things uh, that you can um, start to identify, first and foremost, that we are, are completely centered and focused on improving child engagement and child communication. Uh, and when I say engagement, we're talking about is that we want the kids engaged either with somebody or something. We know the importance of play for our kids with autism, especially social play. Um, and we also know the importance of get them communicating with their peers as well as the adults in the classroom as well. So we always want to see our kids engaged, and we want an environment that is going to foster lots of uh, communication and particularly expressive language. Uh, one of the great advantages of providing early intervention in a preschool setting is that you have generalization that is built directly into the classroom. And so I, we tell parents that are looking for uh, preschool placements for their kids, for example, that if you walk into a classroom and it's completely quiet, uh, that's not exactly a good thing. In fact, we like the loud, messy environments uh, with lots of uh, interaction, lots of talking, uh, and, that, and that's a great place for our kids with autism to learn to talk in the real world, and the generalization problems don't seem to appear nearly as often. Um, second is that uh, we have a three-to-one student-to-child uh, teacher, uh, teacher ratio, uh, student-to-teacher ratio. Um, all of our teachers are highly trained and receive ongoing supervision and training. Um, and while that's not always possible in every preschool that, uh, that you're looking into uh, for your child, um, we, we generally recommend that parents look for uh, teachers that are enthusiastic, they're positive, they're energetic, 
Uh, they have high affect. They're smiling. They're happy. They're positive in the way that they interact with the kids, and they're very focused on improving engagement and communication. Even through our hiring process, these are things that we're looking for. We ask that the uh, interview candidates get in there in our preschool and interact with kids, and we're looking to see what their energy look at looks like and how much affect they have with kids. Oh, that's uh, incredible. Course, yeah. Of course, training in ABA and, uh, and, and positive behavior support is, is a bonus if you can find that as well. Um, do you do any like, training of that on your site? Uh, absolutely. So, so all of our uh, teachers are um, in a very intensive supervision model where they're getting regular feedback uh, from a BCBA supervisor in PRT, ABA, positive behavior supports. Wow. That's uh, so I think that's a, a pretty key thing as well. Um, another big piece for us is our contact model. And my son is a three-year-old child who attends as one of the typical kids. It's a great HR benefit. Um, and uh, one of the things I, I, that really drew me to the program for him is, is our contact model. And the way our contact model works is that we're asking uh, our teachers to contact each kid in the classroom approximately once per minute. Uh, and that sounds uh, fairly intense, and because of that, our teachers are in incredible shape. Uh, but they move, uh, they move around uh, quite a bit. And if you think about it, we've got these, this great staff uh, to child ratio. We've got highly trained staff. Um, we want them interacting with our kids. And when they're making contacts, what I mean by that is that if a child is not engaged, they are engaging the child uh, with toys or activities. And if uh, they are engaged, then maybe they're coming over and creating an expressive or receptive language opportunity for the kids to respond to as well. Um, I know from looking at other classrooms that we've been into, we, we see uh, teachers go for long periods of time interacting with just two or three students while everybody else isn't getting any of that interaction. And we know that in the natural environment that we have to work extra hard to increase the number of uh, opportunities for learning for our kids. So for parents that are looking at uh, preschools in their area for their kids to go to, I, I really think you want to look for teachers who are kind of always on the move. They're always looking to interact, to teach. They're looking at every opportunity as a teaching and learning opportunity for kids. So you've got a very busy classroom, a very loud talking classroom, and that's working great for you. It, it, it works fantastic. I mean, I think that uh, when I walk into the room and I see our teachers moving all over the place, I know that intervention is constantly happening. I can see it and I can hear it by what's coming out of the kids in, uh, in the classroom. And how are, the, how are your classrooms configured? I know that preschools often have like centers, there are certain areas. How are yours configured? So ours are, are configured that really uh, get at this issue of motivation and engagement for kids. Our kids can move freely throughout the classroom, but we do have structure in various different parts of the classroom. And we call these uh, zones, something we borrowed from Gail McGee with the Walden School out of Emory University. Uh, we have a free play zone, for example, a structured activity, a one-to-one -one zone. And again, the kids can move freely throughout the zones uh, by whatever motivates them so that at the height of their engagement and motivation, we're creating learning opportunities. And that's very different from an overly structured classroom where the child doesn't have nearly as much choice of what to engage in and instruction just begins. Uh, for us, we're waiting for the child to engage in something they find motivating first and then start the teaching based around the child's individual goals. Um, another sort of related point to that is, uh, is we do something called toy rotations. Uh, and this is a great thing you can do in the preschool classroom or you can do at home. Uh, one of the other challenges that we see in a lot of preschools is that you have the sort of same boring, lame toys out for weeks <laughs> and weeks, if not months on end. And the kids pick up on that uh, and they lose their novelty quickly. 
Uh, so for us, we've organized six different bins of toys, and every week uh, a classroom will have two bins of toys in that classroom. And at the end of that week, uh, let's say bin one goes out, bin two stays in, but bin three enters the classroom. So every bin of toys is there for about two weeks, but we're constantly rotating out a section of toys, and then the kids only see the same toys about every six weeks. And this really gets us at uh, really high engagement and motivation for the kids because of the novelty of what the kids are seeing. It also saves us a ton of money because we're not constantly uh, replacing and buying new toys. Um, and we've actually used this in a lot of our parent training programs as well. We've, we, we walk into homes sometimes where parents have uh, every, every toy in a playroom that the child's gotten since birth. Um, and we've <laughs> told the parents, just take about half of those and put them in the garage. And then um, every few weeks, take away some and bring out some new ones. You'll not only save money, but you'll, you'll, you'll create new opportunities for learning. A lot of toys that kids stopped playing with that they don't see for a couple months and it reemerges, they're really highly engaged with it again. Oh, wow. It's, it seems like it'd be good for the teachers. It's a nice prompt for them to engage the children with, with their new toys present to do something different with the kids as well. I'm sure that the kids also probably don't get as obsessed with this particular toy, knowing that they're going to be rotating around a lot. I love that. That's yeah, great. absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's an exciting area for us. And again, work that's done by Gail McGee and Michael Morier out of uh, out of uh, Emory University as well. Um, and some of our previous guests have talked about their their programs and mentioned that they're having people take data in the classroom. They're having um, you know very simple data that teachers are expected to take on the program to make sure that uh, that the program's actually in place. It was a really big issue for, for Phil Strain. How do you guys handle that in your classroom, knowing that the program's happening the way you like it to? Absolutely. So we, we, we um, start off with uh, every one of our teachers has a clipboard, and uh, they've got plenty of data sheets on. So oftentimes as they're making contacts with the kids, that single opportunity, we can take trial-by-trial trial data on the opportunity that they're getting. But we also take um, fidelity data on the zones in the classrooms and the different activities that we have in place. So, for example, typically, you know, you walk into a preschool classroom and they have circle time and you think that's just a bunch of songs and books and, yeah, it's nice and everybody has it. But we actually measure the extent to which circle time is being implemented correctly. Um, so, for example, we want to watch and see that the circle time leader is always providing instruction. If we only have about a 15-minute period of circle time, we want to maximize every second. And so if a child goes off task or they uh, aggress towards another child, that becomes the role and responsibilities of one of the other teachers to handle that problem so that the circle time teacher can continue to provide instruction. Um, the same thing would happen out on the playground. Um, we don't just look at the playground as a break time for the kids. We look at that as new teaching opportunities for our kids out in a different setting. So as they go out to the playground, each one of our uh, teachers takes a necklace. It's got five kids' names on it, and uh, they facilitate uh, contacts and interactions with those kids so that every child is being contacted on the playground. And just like circle time, we measure that. We measure to make sure that they're wearing the necklace. We make sure that they're getting to each one of those kids to make contacts and, and make sure that the model is being implemented correctly. Oh, that's um, and so I, I think that the sort of recommendation for parents um, to a very large degree then is, is that you want to select a preschool with very intentional uh, uh, teaching taking place, that it's not just a, a daycare, 
Uh, we're not just keeping an eye on your kids, but we are trying to maximize every single moment uh, that we are there with kids um, and so that we are getting lots of learning, lots of instruction, lots of opportunities taking place. And the only way that we know how to do that really well is to be very intentional and systematic about it. I know that you got some uh, scholarships to enroll, typically, typically developing children with that from low-income families into your program. Briefly before the break, how did that end up working out for you in terms of their outcomes? Uh, that, that's been one of the most exciting things in the last couple of years that we've got these kids that are living within 200% of the federal poverty line, uh, and they've been enrolled as our typically developing uh, peers in the classroom. And uh, in addition to improving the diversity of the classroom, it's been the ultimate win-win situation for everyone. These are a set of kids that uh, did not have a lot of structure. Many of them were way behind academically, and we're going to enter kindergarten way behind their peers, and their language was often behind. Um, they were also highly disruptive. So these are kids that couldn't be napping in the same room as our other kids because they would keep everybody else awake. Um, and it was interesting. The first few weeks, our, our teachers ran out of the classroom. They're pulling their hair out. They're saying to us, we don't know what to do with these kids. And we looked at them and said, you work with kids with autism. Why, why, why how can this be so difficult? Uh, but as we watched, we began to understand. And if you look at any early childhood research, you'll find out the two biggest pieces are to focus on uh, early language and literacy. And we're really good at getting kids with autism to talk, so we're even better sometimes at getting these typically developing kids to talk. And what we've seen is uh, we've collected the same data on these typical kids as we did on the kids with autism. What we've seen in these kids, for instance, is that they're making about 18 months of progress in their language in a 10-month school year. Um, and that's really exciting and encouraging for us. Um, we also know from a sort of um, social empathy standard, there's been some really great work by Phil Strain, one of your previous guests, um, that's looked at the, the sort of attitudes of, uh, of kids that have been in inclusive programs before, too. Uh, and he finds that actually that, that compared to kids who were not in inclusive, they tend to be more tolerant. They make comments like, I bet I could teach him to do that. Um, they're not surprised at all when kids are successful. Um, so we're really excited about some of those outcomes. And the, the take-home messages to me for parents on those um, are, number one, um, you know, a lot of times we're getting a lot of uh, focus and investment in autism and research and clinical services. But this is really good data that's starting to show us that the investment in autism is having a return on the general population, and particularly, right. particularly a population of kids who, uh, who we know we need to raise the achievement and outcomes of to improve public education in our country. And then second, including children with autism will not limit the development of typically developing kids. In fact, I think parents uh, have an ability to, to speak with preschools and their public school systems and help them understand that not only will it not hurt those typical kids, but it may actually improve outcomes for everyone. That's great. I see a great publication in your future, I'm hoping. Uh, yeah. Hoping we all get to read that. We'll be right back with more discussion with Dr. Danny Ovenden. Stay tuned. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. At Autism Training Solutions, we know what it's like to work with children with autism. And we know what professional development can do for a school, a child, and a family. That is why we want to give 50 schools in the U.S. access to ATS professional development for a whole year. All you need to do is tell us how ATS would make a difference for your team in a one-minute video or a 500-word essay. For a complete set of rules, visit autismtrainingsolutions.com backslash contest. Shepard Mullen Richter in Hampton is a proud supporter of Autism Spectrum Therapies. 
Shepard Mullen is a full-service law firm with more than 570 attorneys in 14 offices located in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Companies turn to Shepard Mullen to handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. For more information, please visit shepardmullen.com. BDO is dedicated to service, from serving our clients to serving the communities in which we live and work. Through BDO Counts, our national corporate volunteer program, employees across the country volunteer their time, talent, and resources for the good of local communities. And now, BDO is proud to support Autism Spectrum Therapies. We believe in doing our best to make the world a little better. That's why people who know community involvement know BDO. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Free, and we're talking with Danny Opeden from SARC. Uh, I know parent training and education is at the heart of every good program. It's certainly in all of your programs at SARC, including the remote programs where you go outside the Phoenix area and help families. Maybe you can just tell me, I mean, just your philosophy, what you found out about parent training that's made it so important for you. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Bill. This is critical for us in every single one of our programs we've built uh, parent training into. Um, and it starts uh, as we look at real little kids and early, early intervention. Um, most of this is what we've taken from uh, what we think of as a transactional developmental perspective, in which development is really the interaction between the parent, the child, and the environment. Uh, and the best example that I can think of this is uh, when, a, when a parent and, uh, and an infant are sort of interacting together. They're, they're really shaping each other's behavior. There's a lot of teaching and, and social stimuli that's happening for the child, but the child's also shaping the parent's behavior. So I can remember looking at my son at five or six months of age, and we'd make all these crazy faces, and some he would smile at, and we'd do those again because they were reinforced, and others he would cry or frown or, or not do anything at all, and we immediately stopped doing those. So there, there's a shaping uh, that that happens right between parent and child from a very young age. And so as we think about parents and the role of therapy, we can't think for, uh, for of one good reason why we wouldn't want to have parents actively involved in what they're doing with their kids. This is a developmental disorder. And we know that from a very young age, parents are driving the development of their children. And we don't right. think it's any different in autism. So we want parents to recognize the critical role they play in the development of their children, uh, and particularly in their very young children. Children, uh, because they spend a lot of time with those kids as well. Right. Um, we've also began uh, viewing autism from a lifespan perspective, and I heard you talk about this uh, just before we started, Bill, too, but we know a lot of these kids are, are going to grow up and they're going to get older, and we know the one stable force in many of our child's lives are their parents. Uh, we also know that in our fields of special education and disabilities, uh, um, staff uh, have high rates of turnover. Uh, but by comparison, we see very little turnover in parents of kids with autism. Um, they are committed. Uh, they are there to um, help their child in any way that they can. And while therapists often leave or move or a family moves, um, often the continuity of care is disrupted if we don't have parents actively involved in what they're doing. 
So we really encourage parents to select those programs where they can be active participants. And just as you talked about earlier, Bill, um, to maybe almost shy away from the programs where you're just expected to kind of drop your child off and wait in the waiting room or, or leave and don't know what's going on. We, we want parents there listening, watching, and better yet, even being trained to implement the very same interventions to maximize the therapy outcomes for their kids. And to know that there's research data that supports that. If, if you're not being engaged in the program, if, if you're a parent who's, who's not, there's not sitting down with you, showing you how to do it, taking some data, making sure you're doing it right, and letting you go home with a skill set, you're not going to get the same outcomes. You're not going to have the same, the same outcomes for your child if you're not being included in that session. That's absolutely right, and part of that is that continuity of care. But the other piece of that is that is that it really improves the intensity of the intervention. So we know that research suggests that uh, young children with autism should receive somewhere in the range of, say, 25 to 40 hours a week of intensive ABA therapy. Uh, well, I had a colleague uh, named Suzanne Letso that years ago did the math on this, and she found that if you took uh, uh, all the hours in a week and you subtracted from that the number of hours that kids are in school, or in therapy sessions, and you subtracted from that the number of hours that the kids are asleep, or at least supposed to be asleep during the, during the night, uh, you come up with about 80 to 90 hours that the kids spend directly with their parents. And see, to us, those are either opportunities for learning or they're missed opportunities. Um, and when we see that, then we can literally double the amount of recommended treatment hours just by training parents on top of what we're doing with them in a preschool classroom or in a one-to-one environment. Um, so we really want to teach parents to uh, embed learning opportunities across all of their different learning environments uh, and be able to identify those. So, um, so suddenly um, uh, bath time or snack time becomes a teaching time. So we know that when parents are in the, giving their child a bath, there's an opportunity for their child to request water on their head or where to put the soap or uh, what, uh, how much bubbles do they want in the tub. There are many different opportunities there. It's the same with snack time. So I can give my child you know, a, a, uh, a huge cup of goldfish crackers for snack or I can give them one or two and have them request uh, for more uh, goldfish crackers as well. Any one of these are teaching opportunities, and what we want to see with parents is that this just becomes the natural way that they interact with their kids. Um, in fact, sometimes we'll even sneak up on parents out in the parking lot and kind of check on them if they've really been using this everywhere. And what we're hoping to see is that when they pull up to the parking lot, do they you know, have the child say something to get out of the car seat or to jump out of the minivan or to close the door of the minivan, taking advantage of each one of those uh, learning opportunities. And really within parent training programs, we want parents to sample enough different routines that they can begin to embed learning opportunities throughout all of their child's waking hours. Well, it's impressive. You're actually stalking your families now. That's that's an impressive <laughs> strategy. I've never even thought of that. That's uh, occasionally. I mean, just to make sure that you know, we talk about generalization in kids, but we want we want parents to generalize the skills too, and that's where we'll really maximize learning and outcomes. That's great. Why don't you give us a peek into your parent training sessions? Tell us what uh, what they look like at SARC. Okay. Well, um, it starts for us with an informed consent process. Um, and we, we, we do an informed consent to make sure before we start any kind of therapy with kids that, that parents are well aware of all the different sort of expectations that are going to be a part of it. And parent training is a big one. I think most parents come to us, they really like the idea of parent training uh, in the beginning. And over time, you see a little bit of drift from that, particularly as therapists get more and more involved in the program. We want parents at the very early stages to know that we're going to keep them actively involved for as long as we work with them. 
we show them on a, on a chart that as their child gets older and they go into regular school, maybe some of our one-to-one hours begin to systematically fade, but our parent training session every single week continues to maintain for the life of the program. And we want parents to know that going in, and, and we recognize that that may not be for every family uh, that can do that, but we want the right match of family and, um, and um, program. And what we find is that when we manage that expectation up front, when we make sure the parents know that they, we want them committed, uh, they're willing to stick with us uh, through that, that process. It's only when we don't tell them or we don't make it clear um, or we don't engage them enough that, that we see parents sort of uh, drift as well. So it starts with us uh, with an informed consent process. Um, and then second, we, we have sort of initial or primary objective uh, with families. Um, as you said earlier, we focus here, our centerpiece of our model is pivotal response treatment, or PRT. Uh, and really, we use PRT primarily to focus on expressive language and social communication. Starting point for us, then, is to train parents to meet a fidelity of implementation in PRT. In other words, we want to be able to record the extent to which they are uh, implementing PRT correctly. And we tell all parents that we know they have a million goals for their kids, but we need to establish this one first so that they have a foundational set of basic skills. And we would really encourage parents uh, that work with other providers to do the same thing. Uh, you know, what we find is if you don't build that set first, then you're constantly putting out fires. But if you have a foundational set of skills, parents are often able and empowered enough to be able to figure out a lot of behavioral challenges without any uh, help from experts at all, uh, particularly because they know their kids so well. So that's our starting point. And then once parents do that, we really look to them and say, okay, well, what are the other important goals to you? We've developed a number of goals, uh, individualized goals for your child. But what we want to recognize is that a child uh, lives in the context of a family. And so intervention within parent training needs to focus on not only the individualized goals, but what's going to improve that child's quality of life as well as the parent's quality of life. So for some parents, they say, okay, well, I'm a mom and you trained me to fidelity, now train my husband or train a grandparent or train a babysitter, somebody else that interacts with the child a lot. But many of our families will uh, come up with other areas that they really struggle with in the home and uh, until they start talking about it, don't realize that we can be helpful with. Um, in fact, we did a, a parent uh, focus group recently, and one of the things we learned from that is that parents often go down the road of non-evidence-based intervention when they don't realize that behavior analysts are very effective and have research to support um, areas that they never thought of for a behavior analyst. So a primary example of this is uh, we published some work um, about eight years ago on using desensitization procedures for hypersensitivity. Um, now, most people think it's a sensory problem. That belongs in the realm of an occupational therapist. Uh, but um, we've, we've got great data and great procedures for reducing uh, re- uh, sensitivities to vacuums, to um, blenders, to hand mixers. And we've taught parents how to address that in their home and, and teach their kids to overcome that. Um, one of the best examples that we get that comes up a lot around SARC is haircuts. Uh, this is an area that comes up all the time, and um, and parents will come to us and say, okay, we're great, we got our fidelity and PRT, but getting a haircut for my child is literally torture, and sometimes I think more for me than for my child. Um, these are parents that are literally restraining their kids in a barber chair um, to get them to be able to uh, get a haircut. Right. And through desensitization procedures um, and systematically fading in more exposure to getting a haircut, uh, we've been able to get kids in a matter of just a couple of months to go into a barber shop, sit in a chair, you know, get, get covered up and, and start to get a haircut. 
Um, Lynn Cagle, who's one of my mentors, used to joke when we were doing this research that um, all the little boys with autism all had buzz cuts like me because they all had haircut desensitization. <laughs> Um, but we're doing this stuff a lot, but we cannot do it without parents. And it's one of those areas that in a, in a basic one-to-one intervention session, we wouldn't even know that haircuts were such an issue until we start working more in the family context. Another uh, great example uh, would be going out to a restaurant. So we have uh, many families that will come to us and say, gosh, you know, we, we just we cannot go out to a restaurant as a family. It's, it's just um, it's torturous for us. And we'll say, okay, well, let's, let's work on that. Let's develop a program. As you said earlier, Bill, we need to get out in the community with our families more often. Um, and what we find is we'll, we'll ask parents, when's the last time you went to a restaurant? And they'll tell you three years ago. And the first thing we help parents understand is that you don't get any better at going to a restaurant by not going to a restaurant. So we've set up very systematic programs for doing so. One of the biggest downfalls of going to a restaurant tends to be people want to go there for two hours. And um, my child's three, and he's typically developing and probably wouldn't sit through a two-hour dinner. Um, But what we do is we start with something simple. So maybe what we're going to do is we're going to go to the restaurant, we're going to sit at the table, we're going to order an ice cream sundae, and that's it, and we're going to leave. Something short, simple, reinforcing, rewarding. While we're also teaching the parents to uh, be very clear about the expectations of the restaurant and to reinforce appropriate behavior. And then systematically over time, we work with parents to gradually expand the amount of time that they can be in that restaurant until they're able to um, uh, be there for an extended period of time. Not two hours, but an extended, extended period of time. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, and, uh, the work you're doing there is just great. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I think that you and your colleagues at SARC are some of the uh, representing some of the best programs that we have in the country. And it was just great to have you on the show today and to let us know exactly what some of that looks like. My pleasure. You can learn more about SARC at autismcenter.org. You can see what some of their programs and dig a little bit deeper into what's happening at SARC. And we will be right back with more Autism Spectrum Radio. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Parents of special needs individuals want to know if the care their loved ones are receiving is the best possible. We at Code Metro, developers of NPA Works, business management software for special needs providers, understand the unique necessities of running a successful organization. NPA Works helps free providers of tedious tasks like scheduling and insurance billing. Ensure your clinic is maximizing the time they give to your loved one. Ask if they use NPA Works. Visit us at npaworks.com to see how we can help. If you are considering how cloud computing might benefit your business, CenterBeam's Cloud Readiness Assessment can help. Our track record includes over a decade of service delivery experience, and our customer satisfaction leads the industry. We've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and can help you identify the best strategy for your business. Call today to get a 25% discount on your assessment, 877-710-8880. The assessment is yours to keep and will provide specific insight into how the cloud can work for you. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya, and I want to again thank Dr. Danny Obedin for coming on the show today. It was really informative. You can learn more about SARC and the things that they're doing at autismcenter.org. You can uh, certainly dig around their website and find out some interesting things. One thing to look for is the remote parent training program that they have um, and where they're actually going out into uh, the communities outside of their general area uh, to provide services, which is phenomenal. Uh, they also have this really, uh, really cool program called Culinary Works, uh, where they're working on, uh, on adult skills, working with adults. Actually, you can buy their soup and buy their coffee that's being produced. And uh, I think that's uh, very innovative and represents some of the programs that we're hoping to see more and more of with our adult populations. Uh, if you are an Arizonian, I think that's the word, uh, you can also uh, join them at the uh, Autism Walk, the uh, Walk Now for Autism Speaks in uh, Arizona. You can go to the Autism Speaks site, Walk Now for Autism Speaks, and uh, see what that uh, looks like. It's going to be on October 28th. Last year, they got 15,000 people there, raised uh, $1.6 million. So it sounds like a place that you ought to be if you're in the area. Um, I think one thing that uh, SARC has in common with uh, autism spectrum therapies is our commitment to helping families work through the insurance maze that is happening for so many families right now. Uh, I really can't stress enough how important it is for you to get as much information as possible about what's happening in California for July 1st and the new mandate, how it might affect your child and your child's services. As I mentioned earlier in the program, we're currently trying to help families brace for this insurance mandate and to get prepared. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar or don't understand the potential severity of this event, uh, coverage of services for California's regional centers changes dramatically for many families. If you have health insurance, uh, you are affected. And unfortunately, many of the regional centers appear not to have the resources to help families figure out what to do right now even uh, with some families having their services dramatically reduced or completely transferred, possibly to an insurance responsibility, uh, parents aren't getting much support. You know, there are now 30 states that have passed autism insurance reform. Looks like Alaska will probably be the 31st very soon. And for every one of those states, parents have had to deal with rules, terms, obstacles that they had never experienced before. And that's why I keep stressing that you attend a workshop and find out what's going to happen. Uh, find out how you can uh, best minimize the impact that this may have for your child. Um, uh, when you go to our website, autismtherapies.com, you'll find a tab for resources. There are a lot of different resources there, but one of the things you'll see is workshops. Um, check out the list and see if there's one in your area. The workshops are free, uh, no charge, and you can look at our schedule and see if there's one close to you coming up. Also go to our Facebook page, Autism Therapies. Um, and of course, uh, you can always do it old school and just give us a phone call. Uh, we welcome that. You're welcome to call and get an AST insurance specialist on the line to answer your questions if you have more immediate questions. Our number, 866-278-1520. Um, like I said, the workshops are free. Uh, consultations with our insurance specialists are free. Um, get yourself a seat. Call Naomi. Ask for Naomi. She can schedule you. Again, it's 866-278-1520 to reserve a seat. It's also a chance to hear the questions that other families are asking and to engage with them as well, learn about the resources that they're finding out about, connect with others that are going through uh, this same thing. Because it, 
it, uh, it, it is a pretty big deal. In previous shows, I've encouraged you to share your experiences uh, that you're having with insurance companies with others. Give other families your knowledge, your suggestions. You know, I'd like to have the AST blog be a valuable resource for families seeking information, seeking help. So if you could, please share what you have uh, experienced, what you're learning, uh, what you're doing to better access insurance coverage for your child. Um, Our blog is right there on our website, autismtherapies.com. I know this is a scary time for many of you, but we're going to get through it. We are going to get through this. Uh, On a lighter note, uh, summer is here, and uh, we're doing our Camp Futures. Our Camp Futures is open. Uh, It's fun, it's educational, and it's available in several of the ASD locations. Uh, go on our website and learn more about it. And I, you know, also related to summer, should share uh, a particular tip with you um, before we break. I've been loving having time with my three children, uh, playing in the backyard, going to the lake. My wife and I, my wife and I are still in the honeymoon phase of the kids' summer break, and we're loving it right now. But we know there are going to be some challenges coming, and you know, like every summer, uh, parents can get pretty overwhelmed at times. And I know uh, this is especially true when you're raising a child with special needs. Uh, As you know, we have some great tip sheets at autismtherapies.com. If you're looking for some guidance on what to do with your kids during the summer break, I encourage you to go uh, to the AST website and print out our tip sheet on creating a positive summer break. It may give you a head start on considering what might make a difference for this summer. Uh, Of course, you'll find uh, other tip sheets there that you can browse and easily print out for yourself or print out for others. Um, you know, I want to give you a heads up also, uh, in two weeks, uh, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Peter Gerhardt. Uh, he is a renowned expert on transition and adult services. Uh, it's kind of a sage, really, uh, very much a blast to listen to. A lot of stuff in his head that uh, comes out that's just brilliant. Uh, he'll be joining us on the 19th, so you might want to mark your calendar if you're interested in adult issues and some of the uh, more... Uh, latest breaking stuff that Peter Gerhardt's involved with. He's worked hard on quality of life issues, and recently he's done a lot with the use of technology. Uh, he he uh, participated in an amazing workshop at the recent ABAI conference I got to attend uh, where the use of technology was discussed for many areas of support. And maybe the most interesting area was the use of technology for safety. It's something that Peter is particularly passionate about, and he is looking forward to sharing the uh, safety uh, issues he's finding with uh, technology with us. So be sure to email any questions you may have for Peter at more information, more info, more info at autismtherapies.com. And please tune in next week. Uh, Rob Howe will be filling in for me as a host, and he will be joined by his guest, Kristen Jacobson, as they discuss uh, the issues with the new insurance mandate in California, upcoming changes to funding for the state, uh, you know, in general insurance issues. Kristen uh, Jacobson co-founded Autism Deserves Equal Coverage to help families and providers access health care treatments through private insurance. It's been instrumental in the passing of uh, our Senate Bill 946, an extremely informative show, so you won't want to miss that. And again, if you have questions, insurance questions, you might email those. We'll get those to Rob and Kristen. More info at autismtherapies.com. Uh, one thing before we go, you may have heard you know, a lot of questions are coming up about a drug that's uh, being researched to treat symptoms for autism. This is the antioxidant supplement, NAC, that people are talking about. Researchers believe that NAC, NAC which is, is approved to treat acetaminophen overdose, Tylenol overdose, that you know, the researchers are thinking it may reduce irritability in individuals with autism. I want to caution you that only really a small number of children have been involved in, in, in studies. Uh, and uh, many have apparently you have reduced irritability 
and some have had uh, reduction in repetitive behavior as well. Researchers are always hopeful when they find an effect, and you know, it makes the news, but we really need to see a large randomized control study to know if this really is a good medication for children with autism and what kind of children, what kind of symptoms. So I stress that this is preliminary, and you know, you'll, you'll probably have heard about it. Antonio Hardin is the primary uh, author of the new study. He's stressing as well that it's really preliminary. He believes that NAC could allow children eventually to better participate and benefit from therapy, being more focused. Studies coming out uh, this week in biological psychiatry, so you'll probably be hearing more and more about it. I just want to give you a heads up and uh, be cautious. You know, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Email us if you have any questions that you'd like us to address regarding insurance reimbursement for next week uh, at uh, more info at autismtherapies.com. I always look forward to getting your comments and suggestions. So until next week, uh, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Bill Freya, for another edition next week. Mm-hmm.